0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills, the show that enjoys its New York trash and prefers that Georgia trash stay in Georgia. Hell yeah. There you go. Hell to the app. Yeah. I'm Liz Winstead and I'm joined by my co-host Moji Allah O'Dale.
2: Hey all coming up on today's show, we're missing Marie But Duke Virginia, a reproductive justice activist at the Abortion Fund Arc Southeast, is here to talk Georgia organizing around abortion access and blocking a creepy proposal for something unaffectionately being called Cop City. Boo, boo, boo <laughs> thumbs down. And comedian and host of the TV I Say podcast, Ashley Ray, brings her hilarious suggestions for what we should be watching.
1: But first, so much news to get to. Oh my Wisconsin God. voters upended Republican control of that state Supreme Court for the first time in 15 years. The race was also the most expensive judicial race in American history, Janet Protasewicz, a progressive judge serving in Milwaukee, beat election denier and anti abortion extremist Daniel Kelly. Woo woo. And joining us to talk about that race and what it means for Wisconsin is the newly elected older person from the 15th district in Madison, Wisconsin, the first trans woman elected to public office in Madison, friend of the pod, AAFBFF, Dina Nina. Hello. Hi, Dina Nina. Dina, oh, my God. This is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I think the I think when you were on the pod last year, you were just entertaining this journey of running. Mm-hmm. And so before we get into the larger picture of what everyone else is talking about, let's talk a little bit about your journey and why you decided to run and who your opponent was how you beat him just everything so why did you say i'm running i'm doing this
3: well i think it was a long lead up you know we uh, we're watching what's happening in texas we're watching what's happening in tennessee we're watching all of this these terrible tra- anti-trans bills pass state houses all over the country you know and and years ago i i it's popped in my head throughout the years you know but after the Pulse Night club, club shooting, I was kind of like, yeah, I probably should run. And then my friend's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, I can't yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> and then the Club Q shooting happened and that felt different for me. It felt important for me to step in and, you know, take my own advice. I'd been encouraging women and queer people to run in office for years, you know, and and I was like, well, I guess it's I guess it's time for me to do it. And the longer I was on the campaign trail, the longer it went along, watching national leaders call for the eradication of transgenderism and all of the things that are happening just felt really gross. And I was like, it's time. It's time. This is the right time. So, yeah. So I, I leapt in and I was like, I'm scared. This is terrible. I don't know what to do. And uh, I was like, I'm going to do it like I want to win. <laughs> and i i won (laughs)
2: was there a point where you were like i've got the wind in my sails and i i see victory because the victory was so close
3: yeah i saw victory prior to election day election day was so hard for me because i was like is this one what am what am i getting myself into you know Uh, especially with the hatred that's so visible and loud now. So the whole election day, I was just like, either way, it feels like it's going to suck. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, he was two votes ahead of me for like an hour and a half that night. And I was like, I guess I really do want to win. And I was incredulous when it happened. Like, I was like, what? Did what? Huh? What? I, I, I actually won. And it just feels like such an honor to be a part of history but also to be a voice for people who are being attacked constantly and need to have people in their court.
1: Well, you know, you're a brilliant woman and you are politically savvy, but you've never run for office and you ran against somebody who is, a, I think, a politician, right? Um,
3: He's been the president of the Neighborhood Association. He works in he's worked with organizations that work with uh, people experiencing homelessness so he's got long ties he's been in this community for 20 years you know and i'm a comedian <laughs> right <laughs> so it was very intimidating we ran i think for on both sides we ran a respectful campaign as respectful as we could be um and i'm proud of the work that we both did and I'm—I mean, I'll—we'll be in contact because he—he works in services that I'm passionate about. So,
1: what do you think pushed you over the edge? Like, what do you think did it for people? What could you see when you were talking to folks and going door to door? Because your Instagram is you out there every single day. What do you think it was that people really resonated with when you were out there talking?
3: I mean, I, everyone of us knows. Well, in our neighborhood, we're a working class neighborhood. You know, we all of us know what it's like to barely make ends meet. And those were things that at the doors people really got when I said I've eaten rice for a month because I couldn't afford anything else. I've paid a phone bill because I needed a phone and I couldn't feed myself or pay anything else. You know, like I know what poverty feels like. I I know what that feels like. I think that resonated really strongly with people that feel like they're on the edge. And then, surprisingly, when I said I'm trans and I believe that we need people who are not only under-resourced at the table, we need people that are underrepresented at the table. And and we have a really progressive district, and I think that vibed with with them. And I felt nothing but support throughout the whole campaign. There were a couple of doors that I knocked that, you know, we have differing opinions. Like, like one lady a couple of weeks ago was like, you know, I said... I said, I believe everyone deserves safe and stable housing. And and she was like, Yeah, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we have five, like a hundred thousand people expected to move into the city. Where do you want us to house them? And she said, on the outskirts. And I was like, oh no. I was <laughs> like, we probably won't agree on that, you know, but but I definitely been at doors where people had a, a lot more conservative leanings. And they in the same breath. They would talk about progressive ideas and also get a little racist, you know,
2: like. I see that on Twitter a lot where, you're, where yeah. you're like, people are like, I'm like, oh, you've gone so far right. You're left, but you're still racist, transphobic and a terrible person.
3: Right. But having good conversations with those people and being like, like, I understand your concerns and I know I'm not I didn't say it, but I know what you mean when you say thug. And mm-hmm. even the police uh, police officers here have said, "You can't police your way out of homelessness." And so that's that's where we are as a city. We can't police people out of homelessness. Like they're policing them for being homeless is disgusting. But meeting them where they are, plugging them into services like addiction care, shelter, you know, all the basic things. and doing it with compassion is the most important thing,
1: totally. And elections matter. And, and you know, there's a lot of like horrible people trying to, you know, talk to city councils and things to get terrible abortion legislation passed and anti-trans legislation passed on that local level. So I think that's important. And I think like, you know, elections really matter. And Wisconsin, all eyes were on Wisconsin as yeah, we watched yeah. what happened, right? And could you just tell us a little bit about You know, I said in the lead, you know, 15 years Republicans have had the majority and your your state has been gerrymandered within an inch of its life. You know, you're living under an 1841 anti-abortion ban. It's just a toxic dump that can be turned around. Talk about what it means for Wisconsin to have this Supreme Court election go to a progressive judge.
3: Man, it means the world like. There's hope at the end of a tunnel. Like we, you know, the Republicans have a supermajority in uh, the state house. You know, we're Yeah,
1: talk about what that can mean.
3: <laughs> well, that means we're going to be fighting and they're going to be vetoing the things that Governor Evers does, you know, that are progressive and important to the people of Wisconsin. They they don't care about the people of Wisconsin. They care about them, which is what I've seen over and over again. They're not, they don't act in good faith with Democratic leaders. But what I see is that we'll, ha- we'll start to have fair maps. We'll start to have somebody who's fighting for us in the judiciary. And watching the next few years as their regressive, painful, hateful ideologies kind of are pushed to the side is going to be glorious to watch. Um, but it's going to take several years because we have to get new blood and we got to get fair maps and we've got to get new blood running for state uh, assembly and Senate. We, we just have to. And as we progress, we'll start to see those things happening. But for the next few years, it's going to be, you know, an uphill battle. But at least we're at least we're in it. Yeah, we're in yeah. it and we'll get there. But yeah,
2: it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like, this right. is this is the first... These are some great steps
3: in it, in absolutely. a long marathon.
1: <laughs> right? Fair maps help so much.
3: So much.
1: Yeah, it changes everything.
3: Like, fair maps could, could really change. I mean, we have pretty much 50-50 split of Democrat and Republicans in this state. Right? And when Democrats go to the polls, if it's a, a statewide election or even you know a federal election like we have an uphill battle for those so now just the idea the thought that we can have fair maps and get equal representation and it will force us to come up with innovative solutions to the issues that our state our cities are facing mm-hmm. and and then also like getting getting new leadership in in those SPOTS is going to help cities like Madison and Milwaukee not be penalized because they don't want to fund us because we're liberal. So so that'll help us get funding for the programs that we desperately need in, in Madison and Milwaukee, so.
1: That's great. Dina, we have to wrap, but I want to ask you two questions. What are you most excited about and what are you most scared about in this new role? I'm
3: so excited to be the first trans, woman to hold office in madison our uh common council is 25 percent lgbtq now i will be working with an amazing lesbian mayor who i am so excited to work with what i'm scared about is i want to do a good job i just want to serve well and i want people to to realize that i'm trying to care for them right. in all i do
1: Well, I can guarantee that you are going to try with down to the nubs of your pretty painted fingernails that you will work (laughs) tirelessly. We know that for sure. Dina, before you go, tell people where they can find you and follow you and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, you can find my campaign at Dina Nina for Madison, spelled out. That is my handle on all the socials as well, except for Twitter, which is dina nina for msn uh which is the abbreviation for madison and then if you're into my comedy stuff dina nina xo on all the socials
1: awesome well we'll tell people to check them out we'll put it in the show notes dina we love you so much thank you love you guys so much thank you thank you dina Bye, you guys. well that was really uplifting so and that's good. where it ends <laughs> 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 that is where the joy ends we have so much show full of so much fuckery and before we get to the new news of the week, we have some updates on some stories we've been following. Mo, do you want to kick those off? Absolutely. And these are like middling
2: okay goodish updates. First update is from the state of Utah. Planned Parenthood Association of Utah has teamed up with the ACLU to bring a legal challenge to their newest anti-abortion bill the one that attempts to shift all abortions to hospitals. Uh, We've spoken about this law before, and it's supposed to go into effect in May, May 3rd. And that bill would make it, the law would make it illegal to license a clinic to do abortions and instead mandates that all abortions in the state happen in hospitals. But Moji, what's the problem with that? (laughs) Well, it turns out that up until 20 minutes ago, 95% of abortions in Utah's happened in clinics. Hospitals (laughs) did like so much less. uh, So they may not be equipped to take this on. And hospital abortion care is more expensive than clinic care. But wait, there's more. Oh, boy. (laughs) Earlier this year, soon after this bill was announced, it came to everyone's attention that five of the hospitals in Utah have been taken over by a Catholic hospital system that does not do abortions and kind of doesn't do a lot of reproductive care you would want anyway. And the Utah Hospital Association hasn't said anything about how they stand on maybe having to take on this work.
1: Because maybe Mormons aren't jumping up and down to make sure abortions accessible places. I don't know.
2: But this is great. Finally, there's a legal challenge to this law. So we will see what happens. You know, magical underwear is
1: not birth control. I it just is want to not, put that out there. I mean,
4: uh, all you out it's there birth listening. control for me. Don't it's birth bring
2: control that for me life. too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it will dry out your vagina faster than uh, a Matt Gaetz, uh, you know, magic mic moment. But Oh, I just <laughs> <yeah>. clinched.
2: <laughs> In middling good news, the New Mexico Supreme Court has blocked these local governments who created their own anti-abortion ordinances using the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn model. We talked about this last week. Uh, Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn is a passion project of one Mark Lee Dixon, who likes to go to small towns and work with local governments to create these ordinances often that are unenforceable, but that limit or ban abortion. New Mexico has been in his sights because it's a progressive haven uh, surrounded by or very close to places where abortion is essentially illegal. And so he'd been to like a couple towns um, who had adopted these ordinances. And the Democratic AG of New Mexico said, not in my backyard, and essentially went to the New Mexico Supreme Court and argued that these ordinances are unconstitutional. And they violate the new Reproductive Health Act that was passed in New Mexico this year. So this was not final. Currently, these ordinances are blocked, but they have to go back to court or submit briefs by April 20th. Then the Supreme Court will do some more thinking, have more of a think on it and decide what happens, especially in light of the Reproductive Health Act. Liz, can you tell us who is um, who's fighting for the side of these little tiny towns that want to ban abortion?
1: Well, turns out, you know, I'm always looking for reasons to hate Josh Holly even more than I do. And mm-hmm. turns out his wife is the attorney who is uh, fighting not only for these, you know, pied vipers who are going into the towns <laughs> and trying to ban abortion. Also, the lawyer who is defending the made up Hippocratic Society of Anti-Abortion Douchebags trying to get mifepristone yanked from access all around the country as well in the texas case that we still have not heard about yet so yeah, yeah. aaron holly a joy and a delight if you've got to have josh holly uh soiling you on the <laughs> reg can't be good make makes you a terrible person and bitter but you know what's it, the thing about these things i just think it's so important to remember is Um, As we see in in part of good news, Whole Women's Health Alliance. uh, This is a
4: full-throated good news list. I am on the board. I'm
1: on the board of the Whole Women's Health Alliance is finally opening a clinic in Albuquerque and is advertising for their clinic in Austin, Texas. It's great. But I just want to say that Whole Women's Health was a clinic that wanted to open up in Hobbs, New Mexico, which is a tiny town right in the Rio Grande Valley, um, right across the border from Texas. They wanted to open up in Hobbs, to service patients there. And Hobbs was one of the cities yep. that became a sanctuary city in Garbage Town, New Mexico. So, you know, it hits it hits hard.
2: Yeah, and the Whole Woman's Health story is also really great because um, as of the time of the reporting I saw, they had seen 24 patients and 22 of them had been Texans. Mm-hmm. So Texans are getting service.
1: Yep. Well, I can tell you that at the Whole Woman's Health in Minnesota, after SB8, that first law, the bounty hunting law, in through Texas. Dobbs in Texas, and then through the Dobbs decision, thirty percent of the patients in Minnesota were people from Texas. That's a much further trip. It's a much further trip. But just so you know, like that, like people from Texas are just like looking everywhere. And yeah. I would say a large percentage of every place providing care are people from Texas because I think people forget that there's twenty seven million people. Of reproductive age in the state of Texas. It's like insane, but like that many people have been like just disenfranchised reproductively uh, and it's wild. So. A good, another
2: good, good part about the New Mexico Whole women's Health is that it was Texans helping Texans. A lot of employees from the Texas clinics are in New Mexico. And so they're there sort of seeing the people of their town. So it's good.
1: Whole Women's Health Alliance is an incredible clinic consortium that do really beautiful holistic care and I cannot say enough things about them. So going out on a high note and transferring over to our pal Molly for, I don't know what kind of low high she's going to hit. I, kn- I know that there's a balance this week, but um, I'm just going to turn it over to Molly to drop some a steaming pile of news on us. Uh, Molly, what do you got for us this
0: week? Absolutely. Thanks so much. What a week. Like the norovirus on a cruise, the shit is spreading at a rapid pace. So keep up with me here. First up, the Florida six-week ban is headed to the desk of Ron DeSantis one year after he signed the 15-week ban. Guess they just need more and more strict bans to get that same high, you know? At this point, human rights in Florida are as flimsy as those sandals they give you after a pedicure. Speaking of flip flops, North Carolina Representative Trisha Cotham announced this week that she is switching to the Republican Party only three months after winning office as a Democrat. This gives the GOP veto-proof majority to pass their heinous abortion restrictions. Trisha said she was welcomed with open arms by Republicans. Obviously, Trisha, if it meant more power for them, they would welcome Freddy Krueger with open arms. They take anyone. They're not picky. You're not special. Kansas is also continuing the trend of Democrats voting with Republicans against humanity. That's a card game. Lawmakers there have overridden the governor's veto to enact a ban on trans kids from playing on women's sports teams. How are they going to enforce that? Well, one lawmaker says through sports physicals. So now at tryouts, you'll have to do pull-ups and pull-downs of your pants. This is going to go great, I'm sure. Uh, But it's not all bad news. Like you were saying uh, this week, we are smitten with the mitten of America. Governor Gretchen Whitmer has signed the repeal of Michigan's 1931 abortion ban zombie law. They call it a zombie law because after Roe was overturned, it came back from the dead. And because the crusty, dusty, old ass politicians who support it are basically reanimated corpses. So they identify. And I got a high note there. Uh, Back to you guys.
1: Thanks, Molly. Yes, it is. We are happy about Michigan. Gretchen Whitmer is the best. She's amazing. She's
0: amazing. I love that they call it zombie laws, too. I want to start calling pro-abortion laws, vampire laws, so they'll live forever. And also because they're very sexy. They glitter. They glitter and they play baseball. And there's blood. (laughs) There's
1: blood. (laughs) Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Molly.
2: (laughs) And let's get to our big stories of the week. follow up
1: on (laughs) Florida, friend. Holy shit.
2: Oh, gosh. Yeah, that six-week ban? passed in the Senate this week, and we're pretty sure that Governor Detritus is going to sign it. This ban, just so you know, is another one of those so-called heartbeat bills, which basically ends access to abortion before most people know they're pregnant. It also restricts access to uh, medication abortion. It requires physicians doing
1: in-person dispensing.
2: And Liz, it has those things they call exception that are useless.
1: Oh, yeah. For victims of rape and incest, as long as you go tell the cops and then go scream to, your, about, to everybody and report it and do all this other shit. It's a mess. And then I
2: think they need like signatures from two doctors. It's wild. And this is also crazy because they just signed a ban a year ago. I'm unsure about what the penalty is. It said, I read the bill, and it said that if you're convicted of performing an abortion, it's a third degree felony. And the third degree felony in Florida seems to um, be a $5,000 fine and five years in jail. But I don't know if that's for the doctor, the pregnant person, or their god? I'm unclear.
1: The bill was really unclear and, you know, there was so many fucking shenanigans around this. So, when they had their hearings and when they have like people testifying, you know, for or against the bill, the Republicans scheduled their talking on anti-abortion lobby day. So, they filled their, you know, they filled the whole the whole legislature with people speaking, they could speak for as long as they wanted about the unborn and how much they love the unborn, never anybody anybody pregnant, on and on and on. Then Tuesday was the day the pro-choice people got to speak. And on that day, the Republicans shoved into the schedule a funding bill that would be heard immediately following that would fund Florida families who are desperately in need of, of, of food and of help. And then the GOP was like, okay, we'll have your hearing, but you got to wrap it up because we're going to hear that funding needy families bill by 1030. So if you're not done by 1030, that bill will die. Literally Republican Randy Fine, who chaired Thursday's hearing said, I'm fine with going to 1030, but those who wish to offer more health care to children, the bill's going to die if it's not heard before 1030. And what that meant was that the pro-choice people were given 15 seconds each to speak. We talk about it constantly, but if you can't win through good arguments and and righteous facts, convincing people that it's good for them and their families and their communities, then you have to take these tactics. Don't let people talk about it at all. Cut them off. Threaten that needy folks who need help won't get the help they need because your ideas are fucking garbage. It's so bad. And, you know, there's some righteous Democrats, especially women in Florida, Anna Escamane. I've seen her several times and I met her once at the Frank conference in at the University of Florida. I do this conference every year and she's so great. And she was absolutely appalled. And she said they call themselves pro-life but are willing to take away health care from kids over the abortion ban. And they had some really funny names. And I just want to look this up really quickly because I think didn't they call the bill like all sorts of all sorts of names, like not the heartbeat bill, but the other bill.
2: Oh yeah, they did. They gave it a, uh, your sons are going to jail bill.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also talking
2: about righteous people, Lauren book literally stood there and read her office number from the floor and said, anyone who needs abortion care, call me. And I thought that was incredible.
1: I mean, it's wild. And then people took to the streets and they were protesting. Literally there's a TikTok of peaceful protesters, like, Almost to the point where they were boring the shit out of me, protesters, like sitting in a circle singing with water bottles singing like indigo girl songs. And I was like, Really? Can we get a and then they were all cuffed and arrested yeah. for disturbing the peace. And it's like I don't even and then they tried to compare it to the insert. It's a mess. This is DeSantis' America. <laughs> this is DeSantis' America. Yeah. And so it's probably gonna be signed next week on his desk. Um, and our other story that we wanted to break down this week is a trend that we've been following and it's shocking not shocking news out there that you've heard piecemeal around it right there's just new and different ways constantly popping up that your personal data is being scraped and used against you when you seek abortion care whether you're being hoodwinked by a fake clinic signing onto an unsecure wi-fi network you think is the clinic's wi-fi or the security cameras at the clinic that are supposed to be used to catch the harass holes, or Meta and Google just offering up your shit to law enforcement, you are not safe, right? You're not, yeah. You're not safe. So we're going to run through some of the sneaky shit and tell you some tips on how to keep your security on lock when you're looking for care and when you're accessing care. So... We've been covering throughout the inception of this podcast, how the fake clinics have been accessing your data. You know, they bring you in, you fill out forms. And what a lot of folks I don't think realize is fake clinics are now part of the three giant pillars of the anti-abortion movement. There's the people in the streets, there's the legislative piece, and there's the fake clinics that are really huge. And 50% of all fake clinics are part of massively well-funded, hundreds of millions of dollars funded. Fake clinic conglomerates.
2: Also, hundreds of million dollars funded with volunteer armies. So also a cash cow.
1: Cash cow. And so anytime you go to one of these fake clinics and fill out your paperwork, that data is going to all of these places into a massive database. Heartbeat International, one of the largest of fake clinic consortiums, says we welcome and share all all the data we get from these clinics. And that can be scary in a number of ways, right? You're giving your reproductive history, you're giving your sexual history, your inquiries around abortion. They're taking all of that down and they're sending that shit out to all of these different places, and they keep growing because all of now after Roe has fallen, they're just being funded and funded and funded with tax dollars being diverted to them. A
2: lot of places, the minute they pass these abortion bills, they also give millions. Someone recently gave twenty five millions a state to anti abortion center.
1: That's exactly right. And so what happens is the second you put your shit down, there was an article in Bloomberg I was reading about a woman who who didn't realize she was at a fake clinic, gave all this information. She's like, oh my God, I hope this, you're not going to give this to anyone. They're like, this is what happens with unintended pregnancy. That's all she said. And then she went and had an abortion and then she just kept getting calls and kept getting calls from all these different fake clinics, inquiring about her baby, asking her about childcare. Like she would get all these calls, just like relentlessly hounding her. And it was really terrifying. And something then popped up are these state mandated hotlines that we covered a bunch a bunch of times early on something called the Emma Act that's a little bit of a pieces of model legislation that get dropped in states Arkansas passed it Oklahoma proposed it i don't know if they passed it but It's called EMMA stands for Every Mother Matters Act. And so talk a little bit, Moji, about like what that is.
2: These EMMA laws are insidious. What these EMMA laws state is essentially a state will mandate that if a person is considering having an abortion before they can even get near a clinic, they have to call one of these centers or these hotlines. Often the EMMAs are hotlines, give their information, then are given a unique identifying number and then have to take that to a clinic. And that way, essentially, a state can track like, oh, you this is what you did. And then you went to this clinic and then you had an abortion. They have all your information. And I don't feel like we can trust that states that are anti-abortion are doing good things with the data of people who seek abortion care.
1: Well, and also, let's be clear that these are specifically if you work on an MLI and you come from an anti-abortion space, you have to never have worked at an abortion clinic or been pro-abortion in any way. So if you're seeking abortion access, the person on the other end of the phone is there to A, talk you out of it, and B, does not share your values at all. And like Moji said, the second you call, you're given a unique identifying case number, and that's generated by the State Department of Health. And we don't know who answers these lines, who runs these lines, where they spread your data. And remember, and this is the part that's really scary, that Anti-abortion organizations are more and more savvy about tracking. And if they're collecting your data, it's not HIPAA because it's not covered under medical HIPAA laws. So if you're a person in a state where abortions are restricted and you you call one of these lines, your information could be passed on to some crazy prosecutor who, if you didn't have a you're in the system, and you said, I'm pregnant and I'm seeking abortion care and you never had a baby, right? There's no record of you then having a baby. They could hunt you down. Or you could have considered
2: abortion, called these numbers, and then for whatever reason, have a a sad pregnancy outcome where you don't have a healthy baby and can be prosecuted for your miscarriage or stillbirth. That's right. These are things that have happened. These aren't even like conjectures.
1: That's right. And we have a whole, like, there was a big study done from the Women's Law Project done by Tara Murtha and her team. That's incredible. We'll put that link to the show notes because it's full of information and it's really great. But it's not just the fake clinics, right? Google and Meta, they're just out here in these streets giving up shit anytime they're
2: asked. One, it's funny. The thing about the Google and Meta is also really concerning because a lot of times they are asked by state agents or federal agents to get information about what your history has been, your search history and your browser history. And so you can go to a bunch of reputable places through Google because they have search and, you know, they're the primary search engine we all use. And even if you're going to a reputable place and getting medication, when they solicit your information from Google, all the data trackers that are on every site you use that I think actually helps make the internet easier for some of us also makes it easier for corporations to follow what you're doing and monetize it. But they can get your history. They can say, oh, you went to I need an abortion dot com or you can just go to an online pharmacy, try to get medication. And a police officer or prosecutor can solicit your Google records and find out exactly where you went
1: and use your browser history against you. And that's just part of it. And then ICE apparently is out, out in these streets, you know, just doing extra. ICE is terrifying. They have a form. It's a I think of 1509 or
2: 1503, and it essentially lets them make requests of businesses. And this is usually to keep people from having illegal purchases or hiding their customs history, but they have had some outliers of where they look at soccer teams or abortion clinics or all of these other places that they shouldn't be looking, schools to look at what people have been doing and why. And all of this is just overreach. (laughs) All of this is over observing. And in places where a prosecutor is excited to prosecute people for abortions, this is dangerous.
1: It is dangerous. And so the thing is, you can protect yourself, but you got to put yourself on lock. You really got to be careful. You got to make sure that if you are going to a clinic, don't sign on to an un- unsecured Wi Fi. If you don't recognize it, Ask the clinic what the Wi-Fi is, because it could be somebody setting up a pineapple, a a fake hotspot, right, that's open, that's called something close to the name of the clinic you're in. You're not paying attention. You get on that one. You know, that's really important. Um, The Digital Defense Fund has an incredible resource that we're going to put in our show notes. We don't want to need to read it all to you, but there is a cheat sheet with some tips for you on getting your procedure and how you should handle organizing your procedure. And then a longer thing that you should read through to lock down all of your security so that you can safely look for abortion care, help folks get abortion care, and keep your own digital footprint as minimized as possible because they are out to get you, believe me. So we're going to put that all in the show notes. Yep.
2: And we, as always, we want to remind you the best most up-to-the-minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding your care is at I need an A.com. Just go private on your browser before you check.
1: Yeah, I would say go there on your incognito browser. Make it happen. Absolutely. Anyway, Liz, shall we introduce our first guest? We should. And when you Google more about them, also do that on your incognito browser. <laughs>
2: Yes. The next guest is the Georgia Organizing Coordinator for Access Reproductive Care Southeast, also known as ARC Southeast, uh, which is a practical fund covering Georgia and the Southeast. Please welcome Duke, Virginia. Duke, thank you for joining us.
5: Hey, Duke. Thanks for having me. Hi, hi, hi.
2: (laughs) For our listeners of the pod who may not know, can you fill us in on the work of ARC Southeast and um, what you do specifically as the Georgia Organizing
5: Coordinator? Yes, no, definitely. So um, ARC East, our main function, we are an abortion fund. So that's what we do 24-7. We are funding abortion. Um, and because of, you know, the current state of abortion, specifically in the South, and we're also funding practical support for abortion. So assisting folks in seeking abortion outside of just Georgia as well. I, as the Georgian organizing coordinator, I really do a lot of outreach and organizing in in Georgia, specifically around Roe versus Wade, um, the ban on abortion that's happening right now, which is a six week ban. Um, But I also do a lot of just community outreach in general, just getting the information out there to folks kind of um, about reproductive justice as a whole. Um, So outside of just abortion access, also just uh, reproductive health, things like uh, the bans that's happening on trans youth right now. Um, as well as contraceptive kind of not being as accessible, um in, you know, stores and just really being kind of too expensive to begin with. So really just, um, just getting the word out there and just getting more folks involved in kind of like what they can do outside of just voting, you know, to kind of help with these issues. Yeah.
1: That is awesome. And we want to drill down on the specifics of reproductive justice and all the sort of intersections that happen around that in a sec. But first, could you just lay out for folks, because it feels like Georgia has a roller coaster of an, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like there's a six week ban that's being challenged, but we don't really know what's happening right now in Georgia. So could you lay out a little bit of the of the past year and, and what access is like and where you are at right now?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said, it it's a true whirlwind, really. It, it kind of changes almost. It was one point in like February was changing weekly. You know, it was mm-hmm. just kind of like going back <laughs> yes. and forth, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so right now there is a six week ban, but um, abortion advocates in Georgia are suing the state to get rid of that ban, of course. So it's kind of abortion access in a nutshell is really just in a judicial process right now where it's really kind of like up in the air. Um, outside of that, of course, advocates are pushing back against with with um suing the state, but also the RFA, which is the Reproductive Um Freedom Act, which was presented um about a month ago, um, which is basically is trying to just enshrine fundamental protections of, of abortion and uh access in Georgia so that they can't just take it away and they can't just make it super flimsy.
1: Are you doing that as a ballot initiative or through the
5: legislature? Uh that's through the, the legislator. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that would be through the legislator. Um and that was. Yeah, that was just introduced, I believe, in February. Yeah. And outside of that, it's really just trying to get people more involved in really just creating sustainable alternatives outside of just legislation. I think that, unfortunately, we're at a time where we can't just rely on uh, on lawmakers to make things accessible for us. We have to kind of figure out what alternatives we're going to have to take into our own hands to, you know, make sure that folks like us, working class folks can um, still access abortion because the bottom line is rich folks are still going to be able to access it. You know, they have their private doctors, they have their private, you know, um, facilities where they're going to be able to get it. So it's a, it's going to be the poor folks and working class folks who are going to really, really um, bear the brunt of these bans. So really just trying to figure out sustainable alternatives outside of just, you know, fighting the legislator um, every February.
2: Also, like, it's super important, I think, to remind people, I really love that that a lot of your work is outreach, because I think a lot of times these bans um, and all of this confusion, like, really feeds their narrative and really kind of strengthens Mm -hmm. them because people actually have no idea what their options are. And if abortion access changes to hour to hour, few people needed an abortion every month. And so people aren't keeping up on like the hourly, like they just like, I need an abortion right now. And where, where do we stand? Yeah. What do we do?
1: I just want to get clear as you're fighting the six week ban, it varies from state to state on what, whether or not they let the ban stand or not. So right now, what they said was six-week ban is in place while you're fighting it. Is that right?
5: Yep. Yep. That is correct.
2: So again, as sort as of Liz brought up earlier, Tennessee and Florida are really dominating the headlines with their terribleness, right? But Georgia signed into law their own don't say gay bill. And then there's this cop city situation. Can you tell folks about that?
5: So it's been a, a two-year fight about two years ago, um, uh, outside of the almost- 20-hour public comment that was in opposition of Cop City, the Atlanta uh, City Council basically pushed through a a bill contracting about 85 acres of the Wallerleaf Forest to build this police training facility, is what they're going to call it, of course, as we deemed Cop City. And it's it's just a a real, real true testament to falsified consent um, by, you know, state officials, and I think just like you said, it really hasn't been, especially in, in reproductive justice circles, um, something that's been pushed to the forefront because it is, you know, everybody's kind of like having their own opinion on what public safety really looks like and and kind of how we take it into, you know, like where we, where we should be taking it, right, which is not just throwing money at the police, but actually throwing money at some of these, you know, things that we need, right? Uh, Georgia has a housing crisis, Atlanta specifically, right? We have a gentrification crisis. We're in the middle of a climate crisis, right? <laughs> We're also still in the middle of a pandemic. So throwing almost $90 million towards um, the building of a police training facility, it's, it's really just a smack in the face, you know, to, to folks who are dealing with these issues every day, you know, the urgency of, being able to house folks the urgency of being able to feed folks right it's just it's kind of just being pushed to the side so i mean that's that's really the the movement in a a nutshell that's just trying to get as many people um invested in the stopping of the building of this facility, because it wouldn't just be detrimental to people in Georgia, to people in Atlanta. It would be the largest training facility in the country. And it's legitimately a response to, of course, the 2020 uprisings, right? They saw Mm -hmm. and they see numerous of people kind of getting on the same page, right? Across the country, that people are striking at their jobs, right? Across the country, people are realizing that we need universal health care. Since the pandemic, people have realized that, yeah, like, we actually we need we don't we can't go back to the normal, right? We need to do something else to actually take care of one another. So we've been demanding that of the state, demanding that of 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 the government. And I think the response to that demand is Cop City.
2: <laughs> it's wild that people who are like not from over policed communities don't see this. Like I think that black people in America, we can look around and be like, This, we've seen this. This is what America has been for us. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, they're bringing it to your door too. Yeah. How have you and the people you work with kept morale up with all of this going on in
5: Georgia? I think it's just continuing to do the work, continuing to to build those alternative alternatives. And I think people seeing that we're not giving up. You know, people seeing that we're we're actually just going stronger, and we're actually just we we know that we have each other. Right. We have to rely on one another. Um, so, so really, just continuing to be motivated by like the urgency of just making sure that everybody is okay, like the people that we love, the people that are in our communities, our future children. Like we want them to be okay. So that's really the main motivation, as well as the the numerous programs that Arc Southeast has, you know, in establishing. Right now, we have a Plan B program where we literally just give out free Plan B. You call us mm-hmm. up, we're going to give you some free Plan B. You know, so it's just taking care of one another in action. You know, is is one of the ways that we really keep morale up.
1: I just did a a, a talk called activism as self-care. And I really do believe that if you don't participate, it will eat you alive. Just bringing in information and not being able to recognize yourself as being part of the solution, I think is really troubling. I'd love for you to talk about how you organize folks, because it's really difficult, right? How do you do outreach? Like, where do you go looking for folks? How do you get out there in the streets and get people organized?
5: No, yeah, definitely. I think especially after 2020, that's been a really, really difficult thing to do because you have everybody has different levels of how comfortable they are being in public spaces. Um, So I just really try to get creative outside of actually knocking on people's doors. I do a lot of outreach at like events, parties at the club, you know, like I try to meet people literally where they (laughs) are. I was going to say
2: meet people where (laughs) they are.
5: (laughs) Yeah, you know, people are not, you know, super willing to maybe come out to an event but everybody wants to go have a drink, you know. Everybody uh-huh. wants to go do something that, yeah, that's fun and entertaining. So, yeah, I just try to just be there, you know, whispering in their ear, "Hey, I got some free plan B, you know, I got some free condoms, I got whatever you need." And also, you know, when you do have some time, you know, come out to to volunteer, come out and, you know, help some folks seek abortion, come out and protect some folks who are trying to seek abortion or just come out and learn more about how you can have conversations with your peers, with your family members and things like that. So,
1: I love it. And I think that's right because I remember New York City uh, has a gigantic Halloween parade, like massive, mm-hmm. like thousands of people. And one year, mostly were you with me when we went out and passed out Plan B on Halloween? No, I went another <laughs> it year. It was the best.
2: Yeah, I went to the Halloween to do another uh, AF thing that was also super fun because there are just so many people. And usually the fun people are the ones that that are at the Halloween parade, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's not like the people who are at the courthouses today.
1: <laughs> right and that's the whole thing if you hit people up while they're having fun and like thinking about hooking up, it's like hey yeah. this might be that's a good perfect. time for you yeah. to yeah. be jumping on the train that is us so,
5: yes. I was like have a good night. <laughs> have, a good sure night. Like, have a good night. have a great night have <laughs> a have a great <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> night
1: remember us. That's right. We'll see you. I mean and that's what I think is great. I know you're based in Georgia and you're the Georgia organizer, but would you just tell folks like you also help facilitate folks getting reproductive care all over the southeast? Will you let folks know if they live near you where you can help them?
5: Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, so we actually provide uh, abortion access assistance all throughout the southeast, like you said. So, of course, Georgia, um, Tennessee, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, as well as Florida. And we've also been kind of trickling down on Louisiana as well. I mean, really, there is no place. If you call us up, we're going to figure out a way to help you, no matter where you are. But those will be the main places that we, we offer assistance, not only just actually funding abortion, but also helping with the practical support of going to a different place based on where you are in your, in, in your term, of course, to access abortion as well. And you can find us at arcsoutheast.org. Um, we're also across all the socials. OK, so we're on Twitter as well as Instagram, also as Arc Southeast. And that's where you'll find a lot of the outreach stuff that I do. It'll be posted um, on our social media as well.
2: Duke, we will be sure to make sure we also put all of the links to your social media and anywhere so that people can find Arc Southeast immediately. Yeah. They're just listening while they're running down the street or on their way to the club. <laughs> That's right. And I have
1: to tell you that we have worked with them. We've made like abortion. We went to ARC Southeast a couple of, right before the pandemic, we created aftercare packages for patients to have after their procedures and had lunch with the good folks at ARC. And, and I just, the work that ARC does is so incredible. And Duke, I'm so glad that you're on the team and that you're just leading this organizing charge. It, it makes me feel hopeful every time, every
5: time I talk to somebody from ARC, I'm not even kidding. That's super nice. No, I appreciate y'all having me and uh, giving me the space to talk more about our work and especially talk about Cop City. Um, Yeah, because I, I think the more folks, especially in the RJ world, understand that yeah, there is no RJ without abolition. You know, we have to be somewhere on the, on the spectrum. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. y'all.
1: That's right. And as Moji said, and as Duke said, thank you so much for joining us, Duke, Virginia. You're so incredible. You can stay up to date with Duke and Arc Southeast's work by following them on social media at the links in our show notes. You'll also find in the show notes the link to sign on to the reproductive justice response to the Stop Cop City movement and info about the Reproductive Freedom Act.
2: All righty then. Now it's time for Six Degrees of Abortion, the party game that is sweeping the potosphere. Rules are simple. Marie and I take a story from the news that is seemingly not about abortion. And Liz has six chances to prove that everything is about abortion. Uh, let's see if I can stump her this week. I'm actually really excited about this one. You feeling lucky? Ooh.
1: <laughs> I'm feeling marginally lucky. I'm always sad when I know I'm going to have a victory and there's only one of you to gloat in front of. Well,
2: this is a good time. Um, I don't know about you, but this week, my Twitter feed was overwhelmed and inundated with joy and pink because the Barbie trailer was dropped. And it looks like a really good time. <laughs> don't even understand it.
1: Themes are everywhere.
2: It's so funny. And I'm excited. I also love the diversity of the Barbie cast. It's gonna be led by one Margot Robbie superstar. And I'm just gonna give you a little time to link
1: Margot Robbie to abortion.
0: Uh
1: okay. Well, you know, people love Margot Robbie. I guess I had not been paying attention to this Barbie situation. Oh, same,
2: no one did till till last till this week.
1: Right. And so um, I can link Margot Robbie because I think she's in those Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I do believe, if I am not mistaken. But I also do know that there is someone else in this movie who is one Bradley Cooper.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. And Bradley Cooper is... Directing and starring in the Leonard Bernstein biopic and also starring in the Leonard Bernstein biopic as Leonard Bernstein's sister is one Sarah Kate Silverman, (laughs) who, need I say more, um, I just went on tour with her and we shared abortion jokes on stage. That is tying it in a little bow. A nice little bow meanwhile i'm surprised at the direction because the barbie movie has
2: literally everyone in it i was like i
1: don't know who's in the barbie movie i just know the barbie meme.
2: Issa
1: Rae, america ferrara oh um, Issa Rae! i could have done oh that would have been i should have there's like see, a, if i would have googled i mean if i would have googled beforehand this barbie movie because i actually made a barbie meme today for for abortion access front for a thing we're doing and um i just googled barbie meme and I didn't even see who was in the movie. I, I only knew Ryan Gosling because I could have done I could have done Issa Rae. I could have gone to Amanda Seals to me to talking about abortion, mm-hmm. but I did anyway. So uh, I had to go all the way to Guardians of the Galaxy. A win is a win. A win is the a Guardians win. Guardians of the Galaxies are really funny franchises to me. It I is. love them. I like I that wait.
2: one. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited to see what she does there. I was unaware that that was a thing. That's exciting.
1: And um I believe with that win. That I scraped out of really the bottom of the barrel. We move on to our fantastic next guest. Oh, yes.
2: Coming up next, right here on this pod, is the most famous bisexual, solo, polyamorous, Black queer comedian, actor, and writer currently based in Los Angeles. Here to talk about pop culture and good TV. Welcome, Ashley Ray. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) So, you're a pop culture expert who talks about life and love and abortion and all the good, juicy stuff. Where have you seen abortion done on TV in a good way? Like, give us some recs.
4: Look, it's still... Hard to find these examples. Yeah, that's okay, why we're asking. I'd say the. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think the most famous one that comes to mind is Scandal. Uh, people remember Olivia Pope got an abortion on the show. It was seen. And it's not only that, it's Carrie Washington. It's Shonda Rhimes, like at her peak ABC. And that's what she chose to focus her platform on. So uh, here's the thing most of my examples are going to be Shonda Rhimes. That's how rare this is, that it's really mostly Shonda. So what you're saying is Black women are leading the charge. Yes, black women are Wait, leading. Wait, what? Black
1: <laughs> women are. I am leaving this podcast. Center me, which I mean, center
4: me. <laughs> which kind of has always been the truth, even if you look at film, which I think took on abortion before TV did. Waiting to Exhale is one of the first movies, all black cast, that openly, you know, talks about someone getting an abortion. It's a black woman, and it's treated really well. So yeah, black women on TV leading it with Grey's Anatomy. Being, I'd say, one of the best shows to do it, they have had multiple abortion storylines. You can see the most traumatic ones. But even as recently as last week, uh, there was a big, you know, and for everyone was excited because it was Ellen Pompeo's last episode. But what they chose to focus on instead was one character getting an abortion. She's already a mom. She can't take, you know, she's o- overwhelmed. And they just show the most simple process. They They talk her through it and you see it, everything. And how simple and easy it is, you know? It's not the pill. It's the actual, like, uh, insertion one. We say do. surgical, I, I but say what you want.
0: Yeah. <laughs> surgical, okay. I love that you bring that up because that caused a friend who saw that episode to text me about it.
4: Yeah, and it's like, everyone's, like, Grey's Anatomy has been on for 20 years now. <laughs> who cares? But it still has that impact, and it shows how important it is to even when it's as simple as, you know, they have episodes where you'll see someone get an enema, and it's part, like, of a joke, and in this storyline it was just treated like another thing, you know, it was treated like a mom who comes in with a migraine. So, you know, again, Shonda Rhimes leading the charge on that one. Uh, And I think that Grey's Anatomy episode has been getting a lot of attention, not because of Ellen Pompeo, but because of that storyline.
1: And I think the thing that's so tricky about putting abortions in film and TV is that most abortions are either taking a pill, and that ain't fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. or, or just a five minute procedure right on it like with the aspiration. And that ain't that fun. You know, like it's the yeah. drama with which people need to have in the abortion is like, well, if it's just kind of simple and easy, how do we make it compelling television? And I always think yeah. that's an, an interesting conundrum for folks to have. Um, but then I don't want them to over-dramatize it for the sake of having it be compelling. You know, it's like, what do we do?
4: Yes, I, I, I yeah, I think the first TV, uh, probably example that people my age will remember, millennials, was Degrassi. Um, they had a huge abortion plot line with a few of their characters. <laughs> uh, a few of the teens get pregnant, but only one of them actually goes through with it. And I think it, it was like season three. It took a while for Degrassi, a show that had... Teens doing worse things than euphoria, okay? Like, it took them a while to be like, okay, we're going to take on abortion. Uh, But even they, they of course, do it in this really dramatic way. There's no just, hey, you know, this makes a lot of sense because you're going to go to college next month. So, hey, yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, it has to be this huge, all life-altering decision. uh, And I think shortly after that, that character, like, doesn't even stay on the show and all this stuff. So there always seemed to be repercussions for characters that faced that. It was never just oh that happened and we move on it's always oh and that is why this character is now gone or like becomes evil or loses themselves or is now like spiraling mentally and it's like I you know we don't need those um we don't need those consequences involved with those plot lines
2: also they're just not realistic like um yeah I'm like parenting actually has more consequences which is a choice it's fine but like
1: it it lasts longer I mean childbirth has a lot of consequences. <laughs> yeah, you Tylenol, know, Viagra. The consequences are endless. Exactly.
4: I I think having the kid might be a little more involved. I don't know.
1: I feel like it is. It's a school of thought.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I I know. A few people say, "Hey, maybe raising a whole child takes a lot of work." I don't know. Uh, but I would also say um the bold type, if you're familiar with the show. <gasps> I
1: love that show. Nobody ever wants to talk to you about the bold type. I Thank love you. It. Thank you.
4: What is that show? About? The
1: pegging episode. Oh, the my God. Yes. The pegging episode. The pegging
4: episode. It is. Okay. It was a show on Freeform. It's called The Bold Type. Bold ones know. That's what I like to say. That's the bold right. ones know. If you're a fan, you're a bold one. Okay. You know, Liz. <laughs> the bold ones know. <laughs> And it's about these three like girls who are friends and they live in New York. One of them works at a magazine because that still exists. Yeah. Even though it's <laughs> like a modern. Teen vogue, show. Like teen vogue. Yeah, it's like a teen Vogue <laughs> vibe. Uh, one of they all work actually at the magazine Scarlet. One of them wants to be like a fashion stylist and designer, but she like works as an intern when she starts and she's like secretly sleeping with her boss. And then one of them is gay, but she's like also the like best at the social media team. So she's like outspoken, and she admits that she had an abortion and she She's not ashamed of it and like uses it as this big platform, uh and all of these people are like, "What? You can't do this. That's what." And yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're oh, both. So you're saying she's us.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, and also just like because they're the bold like, type, <laughs> they do it anyway. And they're just unabashedly talking about like queer shit and yeah. like uh she's like dating a cis dude and they wants to peg and so they explain pegging yeah. and what it is and how she. Yeah, it's, like and- amazing. Like that's why I just keep bringing up the Pegging episode because it's yeah. like it's oh my so God. so good and
4: they take on all these topics it truly feels relevant the characters are so good. If you loved The White Lotus, you get Megan Fahey. This was like for me her starring role. Like I actually don't know her from The White Lo- I'm mm-hmm. like that is my girl from the bold type. <laughs> like that is who she'll always be for me. Same. <laughs> yeah, like and she's my favorite character, she'll be your favorite character too. Um she and <laughs> it gets into a lot with her, too, because she also decides after she marries someone older that she doesn't want to have children. And the whole show like kind of goes on her journey of deciding whether or not she wants to become a mother. Uh, it looks at it in so many different ways that you know, I think it's one of the most interesting modern watches. If you don't want to watch like an 18 season long show like Grey's Anatomy <laughs> uh, to like binge on a weekend.
1: I agree. OK, so I have to ask you too, Ashley, having said that. Are you a Good Trouble Fosters fan?
4: I love Good Trouble and Fosters. Uh, I had the creator on my podcast, actually, because uh, one of the first shows to create, you know, to feature a lesbian couple. I love those shows. Like, <laughs> I think I was the only person who was like, oh, wow, we're getting a spinoff to the Fosters. Finally. <laughs> like, like wow,
1: no. Will you marry me? I feel like this is a <laughs> whole situation that's happening right now. <laughs> like they're the best shows. Well, you know what's so interesting is that, like, these shows are there, and and I think they are buried on these sort of other networks, right? Yeah, but, like, like nobody all, cares about them. The subject matter is like really next level deep, and they like they talk about white supremacy and they talk about like just like all this anti-blackness and anti-queerness, and they just anti-Asian. Like, there's a great storyline with like Margaret Cho, and it's just really. Yeah. I don't know why they're not on bigger platforms. And it's really exploring the lives that everybody that's talking on this podcast right now are living these intersectional lives, the issues that we deal with, with our, with the people that we know and that we love and nobody else is talking about it. So, yeah.
4: Yeah. And it's, it truly is one of those really good shows where you can have someone watch it. They're going to get to see real stories about abortion and see good information and media about it. And it's not going to be, like, corny and dramatic, and you don't have to be like, hey, cry warning. (laughs) Like, you know, it doesn't need any of that. Like, you can just enjoy the show, which is so rare for this kind of topic. You know, I think the other examples I could think of off the top of my head are, like, uh, Dear White People had an episode where a character admits that she had an abortion, which is incredibly moving again black women leading the way with coco one of my favorite characters in the show uh taking the lead and really you know admitting what she gave up to have this like dream in college um and that was one of for me one of the big pieces uh i wrote about that episode for jezebel because that was like a turning point in the show when you realize okay this isn't the movie anymore like we're really digging into these characters and it's just heartbreaking <laughs> like it is one of those episodes where i'm like you know be in a mood to watch it be in the mood to watch it but i think it is just one of the best portrayals of like a young black girl and that again is so rare where you know she doesn't come from this like broken horrible background and stuff it isn't that huge tragedy level story it's a practical choice that she lives with and is happy with but we still get to go on that full journey so definitely recommend that
0: one (laughs) Well, so far, Ashley, it feels like all these shows are amazing. I'm excited to watch. Love, I love Dear White People. I do have a question though, because I might have read your Twitter wrong, but I want to pivot over here to other other choices and recommendations. Did you date a flat earther?
4: I did. I did date a flat earther
0: who doesn't believe in Mars or Canada,
4: Mars or Canada or the entire continent of Australia. Australia. How
0: did they Ooh. explain that? Yeah. Like,
4: what
1: was their like <laughs> thing?
4: Okay, so he says it's a government psyop campaign. And when England said they were sending people to Australia, actually, they were killing people. So they didn't want people to know that Australia didn't exist. So they came up with this whole lie. And actually, Australia is Canada. And he was like, that's why Americans can't walk into Canada. And it's illegal. And I was like, no, you can't. Like (laughs) I'm from the Midwest. I was like, you go to Detroit, there's like a bridge, you can literally just walk into Canada. And he was like, no, you can't. And um, he had had very uh broad shoulders and big delts so i was Damn. like you're right you can't. Well, i gave it to him i
0: mean great britain doesn't move their pe- people before they kill them and genocide them though they're they're f- like
4: i was like why would this be the one time england would be like we don't want people to know about the murders like the why would this be the time they try to hide it and then the flat earth he had a whole app where he was like this is how the earth works flat and he was just like the government is lying because they don't want people to know. That's why like when you get in a plane, they actually like fly you around a different way.
1: Oh, God.
2: I tended a black guy with a Confederate flag on his MySpace, but I think you win.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, okay. let me on our first date. Let me on our first date. I was like really tired. I had high heels on. And he was like, you got to take those shoes. I, I was like, I want to go home. He was like, take those shoes off. I was like, I'm not doing that in the streets of WeHo. I'm not going to walk around barefoot like a drunk white girl. And he gets down and he took my shoes off. And then he picked my shoes up and he picked me up and he carried me to oh, that's what car. those delts were doing. <laughs> that's when I was like, I don't need Canada to be real. Like, not at all. <laughs> So okay, okay we did we did eventually break up. It, we just it like got, you know, there was it just got too far. Uh, one time he was like, you know, I do believe that they control the media and I believe they control the banks and the weather. Um and okay. I just was Mm-mm. yeah, terrified. I was like, okay, who No, Dick, who is that is good? No. Who is they? And he goes, the reptilians. Oh. Right? Oh, oh wow. not a bad wow. end. Like He was like, we're living in a V u- universe. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> reptilians. And I was like, but you're not, you don't agree with Kanye. He was like, no, not at all. I was like,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Okay. Reptilians. That's, that's not too bad. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a, 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 a dare I say it's not racist? Right? <laughs> <laughs> or <it laughs> anything. Oh, because they control <laughs> the banks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he
1: made it very
4: clear anyone could be a reptilian. Oh. So, so for it, wasn't, me. It, was equal it was absolutely me. This is I'm a woman of the 90s. That was what I watched growing up. Yeah. For the week that they yeah. showed it. It was very much like anyone could be as like a reptilian. You don't know. The only way to know is because they're in a secret organization. And I was like, Oh, as long as you believe the Holocaust happened. Okay.
1: Like, as long as... <laughs> My standards have really <laughs> sunk to these other levels. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ashley, we could talk to you all day, every day, but we have to wrap. Will you come back and blab more with us about what's happening please, in the world? You are a breath please. of fresh air and amazing and hilarious. I mean,
4: we could... We... <laughs> Oh, thank you we could just go through every episode of the bold type honestly you and i please, <laughs>
1: please, please talk about the bold type on your Bo- podcast Bo- Bo- and yeah. i are
0: not invited
4: no. <laughs> you're
1: invited no no please
4: watch it it was on the list watch all the shows i recommended and but really watch the bold type
1: 100 ones no you want to be a bold one <laughs> i know you now you have some things to watch that you can really like dive into that or feel good. I feel, thank you. You've provided a public service (laughs) to really beaten down people who are doing abortion work in the world and um, every day. So thank you. You've got to listen to Ashley's podcast. It is amazing. Ashley, where can people find you? you?
4: At the Ashley Ray, theashleyray.com or listen to my podcast, wherever you do that. Uh, It's called TV I Say with Ashley Ray. And yeah, I talked to all your favorite people about their favorite TV, uh, including the creator of The Fosters and Good Trouble. So
1: I mean, incredible.
4: Very good episode. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks, Ashley. Liz, that's our show. That is our show. Thank you for listening.
2: Thank you so much to Duke Virginia for joining us today. You can stay up with Duke's and Arc South work by following them on social media and at all the links in our show notes. You can support our pod by subscribing, take a minute to write a review, and give us five stars. With your help, we can get more people to learn about this assault on abortion access. Follow us on all the socials at Abortion Front to keep up on the latest repro news.
1: Are you looking for where you might fit into some abortion activism, like taking big action? Check out our five-part activist training series, Operation Save Abortion, at operationsaveabortion.com. The series is available in pod and video form. Make sure to check out the activist calendar and really participate. It's chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. And looking for some want to be part of the solution action? Then join us for our Exposed Fake Clinics Virtual Action Hour Monday, April 10th. From 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., registration link will be in our show notes. Next week is a special pod episode.
2: Last month, we specifically asked a bunch of white dude stand-up comics to use their privilege and do a comedy benefit called Bro v. Wade to help us raise awareness and cash for abortion.
1: After the show, I sat down with each of them to talk about why abortion rights are important to them, and it turned into a podcast episode. It's an incredible episode that features Tim Heidecker, Dana Gould, Doug Benson, Brian Posehn, Kurt Brownaller, Ben Glebe, as well as Helen Hong, who was our amazing MC for the night.
2: Also, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy de Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
1: Before we leave you, we want to remind you that it has been 23 days since the Texas judge heard the abortion pill case and has yet to issue a ruling. That- Fucker. We are watching every day, and we'll go live on social when he finds the time to tell us. Ugh, ugh.
2: Which brings us to our last bit of fuckery. Christian influencer Ryan Foley shows his whole ass every time he sneaks a peek at yours at the gym.
3: There's women in spandex. They might as well be naked. And us, as men of God, we don't look around at these women in lust after them. What we do is stay focused. It's hard. And every time I turn a corner, accidentally, sometimes I look at a girl's butt. but we don't lust at that because it says what we put into our eyes, it grows. And you want to look around and look at all these women and lust after them. You'll never be able to overcome lust. Flee from it. That means don't give into it. Stay
2: strong. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills.